Performance improvement is most often considered when it's considered at all, right? In conjunction with fancy-sounding titles such as uh, Six Sigma, uh, the even more fancy-sounding Lean Six Sigma, and of course the notorious, dangerous-sounding Six Sigma Green Bell. Look, I have no idea what any of those mean, and I'm sure that all of you will email and tweet me definitions right after this episode. Welcome to the show. This is episode 9 of Earbud U. Timothy Smith's background in performance improvement is anything but boring or banal. Look, he was an athlete for many years, and he coached athletes for many more. And after escaping the cubicle nation known as IBM, he has started along an entrepreneurial journey to unite people and organizations and trying to get them to improve one step at a time. One of the key things that prevents many people in management from getting the performance out of their reports that they want is that they fail to actively listen. But to do that, just like anybody else in the world, they have to be actively engaged. Now, our world, our attention spans are built around the seven second sound bite, and that's down over the years from the 30 second TV commercial. So how do people know when they should be engaged? Well, here's a clue. Your eyes are open and your mouth is closed. But this is hard, right? Because of the constant chatter inside of our brains, which overrides all the other noise outside of our brains. And how much weight we give that internal chatter creates external compromises that compose the real agony of defeat. And now a bit of the usual stuff. You can connect with Earbud U on Twitter at Earbud underscore U. You can also check us out on Instagram. We tweet and post images on both of those social platforms with the hashtag be part of the show. We're part of our parent company, Human Services Consulting and Training based out of Endicott, New York. So check out the HSCT website at www.hsconsultingandtraining.com. As far as continuous performance improvement and Timothy Smith, go look at his website, www.tdspi.com. He's also on Facebook, so get in touch with him there at www.facebook.com backslash tdspi. And finally, Timothy Smith and continuous performance improvement does have a Twitter feed. Yes, he does. He is tweeting. Get him. Get a hold of him. Go to look at him. Go tweet at him. www.twitter.com backslash tdspi. LLC. And now, let's get into it. Hey there, and welcome to Earbud U, Episode 9, and get your knowledge on through your earbuds. Our special guest for today is Timothy Smith. Former IBM employee, Tim works in a space where organizational performance improvement can be optimized for greater performance outcomes for his clients. Tim has used his talents and skills to begin consulting and coaching local businesses in the Southern Tier region. He has a background as a student athletics coach and a strong civic leader in the Triple Cities area, and we are glad to have him here in the studio. Welcome to Earbud U, Tim. Thank you, Hassan. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today. Great. So let's get right into it. Explain to the folks what it is that you do exactly. Exactly what I do is, in simplistic terms, I make people's lives easier. Uh, And I do that by helping them realize uh, the recurring benefits of a contagious performance improvement environment. And you did hear me right, Hassan. It is contagious if you set up the environment (laughs) the correct way. Um, What I do is I uh, assess their business operations. And then once I understand, I'm able to coach them to 
uh, establish an environment where it's easy for them to excel and also self-improve. Excellent. Now, I love the idea of it being contagious. I, I love that. Um, sounds like they're going to get a disease, they're going to catch it, and they're going to run with it. <laughs> yeah, this is actually a, a good thing, a good contagious. This is this is a good contagion, not like the not like the horrible, you know, kind of you know, like not like the flu virus, no, not like you're giving them a flu virus no, or anything like that. Yeah, <laughs> this is something that uh, that you want to catch. This is something that you want to catch. Now, you say continuous performance improvement. What exactly does that mean? What does that entail? Well, when it, what it is, there's two key elements to setting up an environment for people to easily succeed. One is effective leadership, and the other is, is involving their employees in non-traditional manner. What I mean by that is uh, typically your employees are, you sign a contract with your employer, you're brought in to, to perform these roles and responsibilities, and then this is what we compensate you for. Non-traditional methods are uh, having your employees involved with things such as new hire orientation, uh, where you actually get to make that uh, social contact with you know the new hire, really to kind of understand if they're going to fit in, um, have your employees involved in and administer uh, an employee recognition program. So those are just a couple of ways that employees can be involved in what we call non-traditional uh, manners. And um, really, your employees, if they're engaged in, in, in uh, the way they really should be, they're going to be your competitive advantage. You, you, now, you talk about competitive advantage. That's that's an interesting term. Um, when we when we, we live in a world of, of part-time employees and we live in a world of downsizing, uh, we also live in a world of temporary employees. How do you go into an organization and work with those types of individuals who may be looked at at the organization as being, you know, sort of like replacement killers or someone, people who, you know, don't really have to be invested in as much because, well, heck, they're not long-term? Yeah, the, the thing is, every employee, regardless of your uh, legal employment status, should be treated just as any, any other employee. Um, that, that goes a long way. You don't necessarily even have to um, make that obvious to the employee themselves. Just you, you, you treat them uh, as you would any other employees. I have to, you know, an actual example of when I had a large uh, contract here locally, I was brought in to... Um, supervise and lead a, a diverse uh, geographically stretched team. I had uh, some portion of that team was what we call the temporary uh, employees from some of your local employment agencies. And I treated them just like I did any other employee and, ex and had the same expectations for them. And one of those employees approached me and says, you treat us differently. And I says, no, actually I treat you the same as anybody. Cause I bet, you know, you're a person and I value what you do and we value with the organization. So really, bottom line, it's treating people like people, you know. Right, right. No matter how much technology uh, you, you wrestle with at any given time, you're always going to have that human aspect or the human side of, of your performance team. And, you know, you treat them just the way you'd like to be treated. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, when you treat people the way that, that they, you know, prefer to be treated, that's almost the platinum rule, right? You know, because the golden rule is, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The platinum rule is, you know, treat others as they would want to be treated, right? Right. 
you know um so how do you how do you get there how do you convince an organization that this is a good way to go because you know most organizations are very comfortable and what you're talking about sounds a lot like disruption but a lot of organizations are really comfortable with sort of doing things the way that they've always done them how do you how do you make that leap into talking with them about um about performance improvement, um, about, you know, developing their forces, and, and are you only working with specific teams in, in an organization, or are you working with the entire organization in total? The uh, services that I provide are uh, universally applicable to any organization and the, the whole organization. Uh, anybody that wants to or is serious about making performance improvement a priority can benefit from some aspect of my services. It's just that the jumping on point, if you will, is a little bit different because, you know, if you're in business for any length of time, you're, you're doing a lot of things well, but there's, mm-hmm. there's probably a lot of areas where you have opportunities for improvement as well. So what I call the jumping on point may be a little bit different for uh, any particular organization. But um, I think what you're talking about really is complacency and, and uh, a comfort level of, well, we've always done it this way. We've always, you know, done very well. Well, in today's global marketplace, um, competitive advantage, if that's truly what you, know, you have as an organization, is what we call transient competitive advantage today. It's, it doesn't last very long. Uh, it's typically less than a calendar year. And if you're in a specific industry like electronics, uh, it's even less than that. So uh, for you to stay competitive and, and, and stay uh, at the top of your game, if you will, you need to continuously improve. Now, say you and I, for example, were direct competitors. You and I could each go out and get, uh, you know, the, the latest and greatest hardware, software, equipment, those kind of things, and stay competitive with each other in that area. But where you really differentiate yourselves is how you benefit from your employees' knowledge. Uh, some of that knowledge is come from their per- current roles and responsibilities. They may know best that, something needs to be improved, right? There's got to be some better way to do this. They may not know the exact solution, but they just know that something needs to be improved. Um, so that you need to really listen to them. As you and I were growing up, and a lot of companies still do this today, they bring their new hires in, they educate them on their roles and responsibilities, and here's what we expect of you to do this. Right. So, here's our company culture. Yes. Yeah. This is what we expect of you. So they're setting the expectations, but they need to go one step further. Not only is this your roles and responsibilities, but we also want you to look at um, things as, hey, how can we do it better? You may have some expertise that we don't even know about that you can apply to this, do things better, differently, quicker, more efficient. So that's the real change. I think the real improvement people need, I don't like to say the word change, I like improvement. That's the real benefit is when you have people come in you set them up for success, but also, hey, we don't expect you just to do this every day like the I got to make the donuts mentality. You know, it's it's the mentality of how do you continuously improve? And that's another point of involvement, getting them involved in what they do. But also, if they see other things that they have areas of expertise in or, or can recommend that, uh, improvements for, we want to hear those things. Now I hear that, and I, I I think of I think of sort of customer service for employees, you know, um, because you you really have I think as an organization, um, and and it, it's interesting to me that in the 
in the world in which you live that more organizations aren't moving in this direction. But there's three sort of um, audiences that they need to be talking to. Um, they need to be talking to, obviously, you know, customers, um, particularly in a B2C or other businesses um, in, a, in a B2B context. So they need to be talking to them, to them there. But they also need to be talking to um, their their employees, you know, and really engaging with their employees. And also, you know, that, that horrible middle part of the sandwich, which is called middle management. And I, I don't mean horrible as in these are horrible people. They're very, very good people who are trying to do a very difficult job. But middle management tends to be trapped sort of in that and that we can't get any support from the upper echelon, and we've got these lower echelon people who we know that they have talents and skills, and we know the organization won't support utilizing them. So how do you leapfrog past that with middle management? Um, how, do you, how do you get them to provide that customer service for their employees? Where it starts is at the, the, top, the very top of the organization. Uh, your leadership needs to be not just willing to um, say we are going to you know, involve our employees and we're going to push for performance improvement. They need to demonstrate and they need to invest, i.e. funds and time for their employees to, and I say all employees, all levels of leadership and the individual contributor employees. They need to invest in them and set them up with an environment to succeed. And it starts at the top with a clear mission and a clear vision so that, you know, decisions can be made based on those visions. Your mission statement is, uh, and, and mission and vision kind of get inter, you know, twined with each other or used um, for each other when they're really two different and succinct approaches to lining up your organization. A mission is, uh, here's, here's what we do, here's why we do what we do, um, this, is, you know, this is our business. A, a vision is a futuristic state, uh, usually five to ten or, or even more years down the road. Here's where we want to aspire to, here's where we want to go. Here's what we're driving for each day. Here's what we base our decisions on. And if you have the organization lined up, you know, from your upper level leadership to your middle leadership down to your, uh, you know, your individual contributors, they'll tend to all be on the same page. Now, this is easier said than done. Depending on certain cultures, it takes, uh, you know, a while to, to help them understand this. But really, it boils down to communication, uh, either lack of or miscommunication. Those really tend to be the two, uh, when you really boil down certain situations, it really boils down to that. And being able to actively listen. Everybody in the organization needs to understand how to actively listen. Listen with the, the intent you know, to understand as opposed to the intent to respond. You start, and it seems simplistic, um, and it really is. It's just not easy to do. And that's, that's where I come in, and I help them understand these things. Now, I wrote a blog post the other day, um, or well, it wasn't the other day, it was a while back, um, called uh, Two Cups of Active Listening that, that actually you commented on. But, you know, how many organizations, I, I love it that you talked about the active listening piece. Uh, so many people, in, individuals anyway, that I work with in conflict resolution, um, don't actively listen. They either defensively, defensively listen or defensively respond. Um, but that all has to do with, you know, what's going on with them internally, and they're so focused on what's going on with them internally, they don't really stop to sort of figure out what exactly it is the person is saying. Um, and they're, they're listening, but with the intent to sort of jump in and make their point. 
um, when you're talking about performance improvement, is that one of the basic skills that you begin with is, is active listening? Because you and I look at those look at those skills as being sort of secondhand. The average person I found, the average employee, um, the average individual who's in middle management, maybe that's not secondhand to them. I mean, you'll go in and you'll say, you know, you, you need to be actively listening, and they'll go, yeah, 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 okay, I understand that. They'll give you the yeah, 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 you know. <laughs> what um, they're saying is, yeah, 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 I'm not actively listening. <laughs> right, exactly. And then, you know, once the yeah, yeah, yeah is over, then they go right back to their old ingrained behavior because, you know, that started – you know, way lower. So what are some of the basic skill sets that you begin with um, to sort of get this thing going? What are the bricks in the wall that you, that you, that you put in? I think the very first thing I like to start with is the environment that we live in today. We, when I grew up, we were in what we call the information age. Now mm-hmm. we're in what I call the information overload age. And people tend to think they need to respond instantaneously to everything, whether it's a tweet, uh, a blog, an email, a phone call, or a conversation, when really the, the, the real communication gap, I believe, is that hesitation or that moment of trying to understand once one party is done delivering their message. It's, it's the pause where you really stop and think how you want to res- what you want to respond to after you've understood. And, and people, it's, it's one of those things that people feel that it's so basic well, we all must be doing that well. So it's, it's so basic. We, we've got to all be, everybody knows how to listen. Everybody knows how to hear. And that's the differentiation. Hearing is, is just, uh, you know, receiving audio into your ear. That doesn't take any cognitive, cognitive uh, uh, exercise to do that. Hearing, right. Listening is, is, is taking that information, really understanding it, um, and, and, and getting, once the individual is done, Go through your thought process of what was just said. Okay, I understand that. And you articulate your response back to that individual, not formulating your response as they're talking because you, you're, you know, you're, the human mind can only do one thing at a time. And you can't be articulating your response and truly actively listening at the same time. It's just it's, it's not possible to do. Right, right. Well, okay, so this is this is all – Again, like I said, very basic stuff. But let's talk a little bit about the journey to getting to TDS performance improvement. Um, what was it like as you started out at IBM um, and you worked there for a number of years? So talk to me about your IBM experience. And IBM is very, you know, top-down, hierarchical structure. So talk to me about how you came out of that experience and sort of launched um, on this process of, of providing performance improvement for other organizations. What was, the, what was the gap you saw? How did you know you wanted to make a dent in the world? Well, I, I go back to my 20s. Um, I started uh, at 20 years old with IBM, just, just right out of college. And when I was in my 20s, I think I'm like a lot of 20-year-olds today. They think they know it all. And from that point, when I knew it all until I actually left IBM, it was amazing how much I learned. Um, and <laughs> if, you, if you follow what I mean. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, it's, it's amazing what you find out what you, what you don't know. You know? I learned actually from my, my, my family. My, my parents were good listeners. They were both uh, in the teaching profession. Uh, my grandfather was a good listener, but he also was a good storyteller. I learned to listen to not create a lot of pain myself, learning from you know, those that have been there. And, and you do learn a lot 
from a conversation by listening because you may have some some questions or some thoughts uh, you want to interject, but if you listen long enough and listen well enough, a lot of those get answered. Um, so I think I learned a lot about the, the listening aspect, the importance of that, but also the IBM was really good at uh, training or educating management, and I learned a lot about the approach to the people side of things. I was actually involved in their their main employee involvement program. At the time, it was called the Suggestion uh, Plan or the Suggestion Program. I was involved in helping uh, what they call re-engineer that, actually market that externally. But that was a good program that kind of um, showed me the importance and the benefit of really listening to your employees through that plan. I've since taken that information and actually made it better to a collaborative suggestion program, in essence making it more of a blog approach where uh, an employee may have an idea but not have the exact or the definite solution to that problem. But when collaborating with others through the electronic world, you can actually formulate and improve that idea before it's actually submitted. So I learned that aspect of it as well. I learned uh, about team dynamics, good and bad, um, because you had a lot of, lot of you know, teams through IBM and, and constant meetings. So I learned what's good, what's not so good about meetings. So in a nutshell, I've, not only through IBM, but through continuing research, I've taken a lot of information and formulated what I feel is the best approach and techniques and tools in different aspects of employee involvement, performance improvement, and bring them together. And I'm constantly even improving that as I do my, my, my research to stay current. Absolutely, absolutely. So you must read a ton of books. What are some, what are some books that you've been reading lately that, that you could maybe recommend for our listeners if they wanted to sort of delve more into this? The last book uh, I read, I didn't finish it yet because my, my son took it off to college. It's called... Uh, um, <laughs> Bar- borrowing is a slow form of theft. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> it's called uh, Relentless um, by Tim Grover. And it talks about uh, the drive. And he, it's from an athletic perspective, but it's about the drive to get to where you want to be. Uh, it's got a lot of good aspects of it, but there's some aspects of it that, you know, um, it's, it's, not a, it's more tunnel vision from an athletic perspective. And you can't have that tunnel vision today. You really got to be cognizant of the environment around you, uh, what your competitors are doing, where your suppliers are at you know, and what's going on internally as well. Okay. 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 I've been, I've been writing that one down, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that as a, as a note and sort of, sort of bring that one together, bring that one in. Well, okay, so you had a lot of good experiences at IBM, and you sort of molded these experiences into a um, – into your your performance improvement um, coaching business. Um, how have you sort of developed that feedback process um, from clients to you in order to – because you're continuously improving yourself, so there must be a feedback process in there. What is that, and, and how, do you, how do you integrate that into your overall approach with coaching? Well, it comes down – what I do is I've got a uh, proprietary education delivery process that I've developed that puts the emphasis, I think, it's a, it's a timely emphasis on the right things you need to do, not only to uh, set your attendees' expectations, but deliver the course material and also give them time to give you uh, thoughtful feedback. A lot of times what you'll do is you'll be in an educational opportunity 
And at the end of the education, the only thing that's standing between you and the exit door to get out of there is the feedback. And so a lot of times people either don't, don't give you significant feedback or give it enough thought. They simply jot something down or nothing at all and they take off. I actually dedicate a portion of uh, the tail end of the education process as a, you know, this is your feedback time to sit down and give a, an honest feedback uh, to this particular education uh, session you've been involved in. Then they get a break and then I bring them back and then I do the comprehension assessment, how, how well they have understood and comprehended the material that we've delivered. And then I actually go one step further than that. If there is a glaring area that was not comprehended well, I make sure I highlight that and talk and educate them on that before I give them, you know, the ability to access the educational session. So it has to do with the, the, the timing of what you do and, and the importance of the feedback. A lot of times feedback is looked at as, uh, oh, well, we're almost, we're almost done here. Just you got the feedback and then you're all good to go. So it doesn't give it the time that, that it needs to give it thoughtful feedback. That, that's where you really learn. And, and I have the feedback. I, I do it on paper format, and I don't want them to put their name or contact information unless they expect a response back to me. I want it totally anonymous because that way you tend to get much better uh, feedback, much more honest, more uh, thoughtful feedback. Absolutely, I agree. Well, the feedback process um, is is always fraught with danger, right? I mean, is it's an, it's yes, it's an opportunity to give feedback to to a person, to an individual, and and we talk about organizations as sort of they're like these monolithic things, right? <laughs> you know, um, but in reality, organizations are made up of people, and people have emotions. Um, how do you handle the emotional content in that feedback process? Well, first of all, you got to understand that not everything you do is, is going to be the best or, or you can't get the perfection, but if you strive for it, you're going to get excellent. So every, right. you got to understand that, that not everything you do is going to be the best. And, and how you find that out is feedback. Feedback is a gift. People don't look at it that way because there could be people, a lot of your customers out there that what I call are satisfied, which is not a good thing. You know, they may be satisfied with your product or your service, but only until they get what they expect, maybe that's from somebody else. So if they don't ever give you the opportunity to improve or correct that, that's a real loss. And people need to look at it as, as feedback is an actual gift. And that's where active listening comes in. You know, once again, you really need to truly listen to what they're saying, whether it's written, oral, um, you know, electronic. You really need to take that to heart and really listen to it and do a little self-reflection sometimes where, you know, they're, maybe they're right with that. We didn't really see that. And sometimes you're in such a paradigm, such a culture going on, that you really don't see certain things. Or back to the, the, the worst, one of the worst phrases in the American language is, well, we've always done it this way. We've always done it this way, yep. <laughs> you, know, you, you really need to be open to those things because if you're not, um, you know, it, it really is only a matter of time. If you're living in that that bubble that, hey, we're, we're good, they're complacent. You know, was, I, complacency is one of my most unfamous words and approaches. And, because when you're complacent, you know, you're, you're setting yourself up for problems. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Well, and you said you're also setting yourself up for conflicts, you know. And, and and in my area where the complacency, you know, typically exists is where people, like you said, we've always done it this way, so let's just go ahead and keep doing it this way. Well, okay, but you're going to keep getting, you know, the exact same outcome that you've been getting. And if you're fine with that. That's cool. That's cool, I guess. <laughs> right. But if you want something different, you know, let's let's go and explore. Let's explore a different path. Well, let's switch gears a little bit because you have a background in coaching and in athletics. Talk a little bit about that. Talk about your athletic life. Talk about sort of where you came from and how that sort of dovetails with what you do now. Well, I grew up in a, uh, I would say, a coaching family or an because edu- Coaches are teachers. Uh, my, my mother was a fourth grade teacher. My dad was a phys ed teacher and a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I grew up in the athletic uh, arena, and I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Uh, I, I had some of your not-so-good coaches. I had some yellers and streamers, and then I had good coaches that had really good interpersonal uh, relationship skills. So I learned the goods and the bads there. But I, I learned a lot from athletics, the fact that, you know, you work, you need to work as a team for a common goal, Um you know, you, a lot of those, um, you know, multicultural, uh, I had friends from different cultures and different sports. Um, so I learned in that aspect of it. But coaching, uh, to me, it's just, it's the same as delivering education in a classroom, except your classroom is different. Your classroom might be a field, it might be a court, it might be a swimming pool. Uh, so your, your classroom's a little bit different, but the same approach. You know, you set, what I did is I always set, teams up, whether it was in, in business or in athletics, I set them up for success. I let them know, you know, clearly what their roles and expectations, my expectations were, what they could expect of me to be coach. Um, you know, and here's, here's the rules of the game. And where I think, where I know business needs to take a page out of coaching is, is in coaching, once you get into your competition, the coach has to get out of the way, get off the field, get off the court, get out of the pool. Right. Business could really take a page out of that. Set your environment up where it's easy to succeed and excel and self-improve, but get out of the way. Don't micromanage. Let your employees go. They'll have a feedback loop for them so that they can communicate to you things that are inhibiting them, um, things that you know maybe slowing them down or improvements that they want to suggest. Get involved with that. Don't be a micromanager. There's there's eight different types of leadership style, and if you form like I did, I learned to form an eclectic style where I need to be involved. I'm involved. If I don't, I get out of the way. You know, right. it's it's really as simple as that. Being involved. Okay, what do you need me to do? Where should I help you? A true leader is asking those type of questions, not saying you're supposed to do this, you're supposed to do that. You know, a true leader comes in and says, okay, here's the environment. How can I help you? improve yourself and ultimately improve the, the, the whole environment, the product and service that we deliver. Awesome. Well, now, athletics has changed, right? I mean, you know, you've, you've got a lot of athletes now who, um, unlike maybe when you were growing up or even when I was growing up, um, particularly in the NFL, I mean, I look at, I look at the recent issues with, um, with uh, you know, Ray Rice and with Adrian Peterson, um, most notably recently, and of course, you know, Wes Welker, um, sort of athletics has changed, right? You know, it's gone from being a let's perform and Im- let's improve our performance through feedback and through genuinely good coaching, although there's a lot of that still, but it's transitioned more from that to let's see what we could do that makes us better than the other guy, right? <laughs> it's all about competitive advantage, and they're taking a, 
a different approach because the the product in that case is it's a human product. Um, and the human product, in order to get better, some of them tend to cross that line. I call it would get into performance enhancing uh, drugs or or you know techniques that may not be legal, things like that. And it's really driven by the almighty dollar when you really boil it down. Um, but you know it, it's you know the phrase the phrase I I hate is well at the end of the day, well, why don't you right. take advantage of the whole day? <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to I've been trying to strike that one for my uh, for my phraseology as well. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I that's what I educate people. And I say don't don't wait till the end of the day. Let's take advantage. I'm showing you how to take advantage of the whole day. You know, right, and, right. and it, people tend to say things like that because they hear people say it. It's just it's the buzzwords that they say. But I think that um, there was a, some of these professional athletes think they're above the the law. Um, you know, they think that. Um, you know, they can do things that, that others can't be just because of maybe their celebrity status. Still, when, when you, like, the, the things you talk about with Ray Rice and uh, Adrian Peterson, uh, you, you do, whether you do those things uh, as a, you know, a high-level famous athlete or you do, like, you and I did that, it really is, is, should have the same consequence. It's just unacceptable in our society. But the nature of what they do, too, is a violent game. They're, they're taught... Violent techniques. The, the whole the whole aspect of it's very very violent. So that in itself instills a mentality uh, in you. It's it's a survival of the fittest. It's it's not a, a place where the meek want to go. So I think that drives some of the behavior too because it's hard to turn that off. You know you you got so much of your life that's dedicated to you know a violent sport. It's it's hard to turn that when you walk away from that facility. It's hard to to turn that off. You still have that very aggressive side to you and some people just don't handle that well but what does that say about our country you know tim i mean we've transitioned from we've transitioned from a, a country that was really focused around you know baseball and you're you you're you're certified to 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 a coach in football baseball and basketball correct right. all right and so we we're a country that's transitioned from baseball being the national sport to a, a country where no one watches, I mean, I won't say no one watches baseball, but it's incredibly difficult to get anybody under the age of, say, now I would guess 60 or 70 to sit still for a baseball game. Um, and yet you've got football, which is a very high level, you know, fast, like you said, aggressive, thuggish game. Um, and, and I say thuggish, not to say that all the people who are involved with the sport are thugs. They're, they're, they're obviously good people and bad people everywhere. But you're right, the overall sort of mode of the game is, is of that violent run down the field, bam, hit the guy, bam, move on. What does that say about our culture and how that's transitioned over the last 40 to 50 years? You know, and I'm not, I'm not asking you to damn the entire sport or speak out against the entire sport because you, you, you're still obviously you know, involved with it and you still have a passion for it. But what do you think that says at an overall societal level where we're looking for that shortcut you know, to performance improvement and you know, forget anybody else that gets in the way? You know, that's, where I, that's where I come in. That's where I, I think about. Yeah, I think um, the business world, um, to specifically in the electronic world when, where things are so much more focused and heightened and uh, improvements are much more rapid. Therefore, what appears to be uh, the leading edge or um, you know, competitive advantage may appear to be more relevant there because things are changing. You know, iPhone 6 just came out. 
Um, you know, so that's everybody's getting in line to, to get iPhone 6. You're starting to see much more obvious, competitive, cutthroat things, I think, in the environment. I think because of our access to information, access to news, access to knowledge, I think it's becoming more relevant than it used to be in the past because we kind of were insulated from it. You know, we had two or three stations on the TV when we grew up, and we spent, you know, Sunday afternoon watching football. But the rest of the time, weeknights and later in the days, on the weekends, we were out playing, you know, uh, playing the sport, doing right, things right. like that. I think now you've got so much emphasis. And when something bad happens, there's such a push on, on the news. I mean, that's what news is all about. Most of it is, you know, bad stuff. Right. Right. Well, you know, a lot of it's also, you know, sensationally driven, right? Because, you know, the, the news cycles have shortened considerably um, and how we, <clears throat> well, you know, how we market news and how we, uh, or, and how we, how we, we package that product and, and even thinking of news as a product, that news content as a product sort of brings about that sort of, that sort of thinking. Well, okay, so you, you've had the sports background you got the IBM background, and now you're doing the coaching and the, and the performance improvement. You've got all these things together. How do you um, how do you talk with people you love about this? How do you how do you get everybody on board? You know, you have a family, you got a wife. How do you get everybody on board? That's a question I always want to I always ask entrepreneurs because it's really not convincing other people outside of you that hey, you should buy my products and services. It's the most difficult piece of the process. It's convincing the people closest to us. How do you how do you get the people closest to you on board? Actually, um, I, I live what I do, you know, whether it's my personal life or in my professional life. That's just what I do. So it's what I did to get to where I am now. I took my nearly three decades of, of working in the professional world in terms of, you know, employee involvement programs, customer service, uh, IT, you know, delivery manager. And I coupled that with my 30 seasons as either a player a coach, a scouting rep, and now I do color commentary for high school football. So I brought that all together with my passion for coaching and performance improvement as a natural segue for me. So I, I really, I guess the word is genuine. That's I genuinely live what I do in terms of you know these products and the services and, and um, value that I deliver to clients. So it's not necessarily getting them to buy my services or my my knowledge it's to get them to really once i understand them explain to them how they can benefit and continually improve and it's you know their upfront investment is just that it's investment and i coach them on how to establish their environment coach them through that and beyond if they need it and then set them up so that they can continually self-improve on their own that's the key, right. you know, setting them up with an environment. And then you get into that, what I call the positive snowball, which becomes the contagious performance improvement. It gets to be like, you know, it, it, like you and I could be sitting next to each other each day, and I really jump in with this, and I'm, I'm making recommendations about improvements, and, you know, I, I, uh, I'm getting recognized for it, and I continually do that. Where you're seeing that, you're saying, man, I need to jump on board with this, and you know, it, it's a good thing. It's a positive thing. You're going to have some people that are that are not going to want to do it just because it's simply uh, something different. Uh, but for the most part, it, it really is contagious, and it boils down to the people that you bring into your organization. You bring in people that have the right 
attitude, the right approach, and then you coach them up on the skills that they need. Obviously, they're going to need some basic skills, but really, it's you know you want to look for the people that fit your your culture, fit your environment, are enthusiastic, um, go getters that that make the things happen, and then you can kind of, you can educate them on the skills, the specific skill sets that that they need to to apply to you know to do what you want them to do. Absolutely. 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 Well, you know, you you talk about sort of, you know, get it, living living what you living what you do, but every everybody has a dip. You know, Seth Godin talks about the dip, you know, when he, and I think of the dip as sort of when everything's not working, when it's not coming together. And uh, you know, one of my favorite films is um is High Fidelity with John Cusack and he's this, you know, record store owner and um, you know, at a certain point, you know, things aren't coming aren't coming together for him and you know, he's kind of losing his mind a little bit and he just wants to pack it up and go work at a coconuts. You know, he doesn't want to own his own record store anymore. <laughs> you know, he just wants to get out the game. Have you ever had those moments? And, and talk with me about how you sort of got out of that, got out of that moment of frustration, got out of that dip, and just kept going. When I was younger, remember when I was younger and I knew it all. Mm-hmm. I my dips were more significant to me uh, because I I thought I knew it all, but I really didn't. It was one of those deals I didn't know what I didn't know. But as I matured and learned, um, I still have dips, but they're not as they don't pull me as far down as emotionally as they did in the past. I, I've learned to understand and rationalize with things. Certain things I can't affect, so I try not to worry about it. Things that I can affect, okay, I understand it now. Here's here's what we need to do. So my reactionary uh, approach is much more calculated than it was before. When I was younger, it was totally emotional and um, didn't really under- take the time to understand. Went on a lot of assumptions, uh, managed by observation, which is not a good thing. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a very small part of leadership, but, you know, leading by uh, observation is it's not good. But uh, the dips, I think, now are, are still there, but they're not as, as big a dips uh, where they may have been rivers, and now they're uh, maybe a small ditch now. <laughs> it all has to do, I think, with maturity. And if you're continuously improving, you're going to be – you're going to be eliminated. This is kind of the subliminal side of a performance improvement, where if you're continuously improving, to use a baseball analogy, you're continually hitting singles every now and then, a triple, a double, maybe a homer, you're going to be way down the road. And you may have, and you don't even know it, you may have corrected a situation that prevented a dip down the road that you didn't even know you were going to have. You know, right, you, right. Can't, you, can't, you can't touch those things. You just don't know. But I think if you're continually in that mindset of really understanding and t- continuously improving, and I'm not talking about humongous, large breakthrough um, technology leaps forward. You're going to have them every now and then, but it's continuously improving over a short period of time, you look back and say, wow, we've made, we've made great strides. You know, let's continue to do this. Everything is important. It's just you've got to learn to, to prioritize uh, maybe it's not something you can do now. Put it in what they call either a parking lot or a, a tracker so that you can have those opportunities for improvement in the future. It may not apply now, but you, know, you don't want to forget that. And be honest with people. You know, your employees may come to you and say, hey, we've got this great idea. And you look at it and say, you know, that is a very good idea, but that doesn't really work for us right now. Because here's, and be honest with them. So we're going we're gonna to table that. And then you move forward. Next time they come forward, yeah, that's we can do that. Let's do just do it now. Boom, put that in place and go. 
it's, it's, there's the honesty factor there. Because, you know, I've seen people institute these programs and they don't take the time to respond and have people understand why maybe something doesn't work at this particular point. Right. We're going to capture it and we're going to move forward. Keep the ideas coming. We know we can't use everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so, you know, you've, you've done a lot of um... – and, and you're right. The maturity piece is, is very, very critical, um, I think, um, as well as sort of, you know, the the reading and the, the continuously improving. Um, and I like how you, you talked about it, it once was a river. Now it's a ditch. And eventually, I'm, I'm assuming it will shrink down to a little, str- not even a stream, but, you know, a rivulet or a dribble. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and that's what everybody's looking for. But, um, you know, you've you've got these other all these areas that you're working in and all these areas that you're you're you're, you're improving in um talk to me about sort of your nonprofit work talk to me about your volunteer experiences i know you work with um with catholic charities and you've worked with them down here in the southern tier kind of talk to me about sort of your your other involvement that sort of rounds you out more as a, as a person um so i said on one on council right now that's the uh, parish council at our church uh, which is a, a group of uh, members of our church, and we're the and the our pastor sits on it, and it's his really his council. We're his eyes and ears, you know, through the congregation to him, but also into the community, and um, you know he'll he'll bounce ideas off us. We bounce ideas off of him. So that's that's one area that that I'm involved in as far as volunteer. And then with the last two floods that we've had in 2006 and 2011, I was involved directly with what we call Catholic Charities Outreach, where I took my SUV, folded the back seat down, and turned it into a delivery vehicle for, you know, paper towels, rubber gloves, you know, Clorox, whatever they needed. Get out, get in the community outreach. And a lot of these people I knew, uh, I coached with, played for, you know, it was just, you know, a lot of uh, uh, good philanthropic uh, activity to Give, give back, and so those are the couple of key areas that, that I give back in now uh, with with that. Wow, that's 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 amazing. Yeah, the as a person who you know didn't live in the Southern Tier and then came here, you know, post two thousand six and and really sort of integrated post two thousand eleven. You know, the floods really sort of loom large in this area. You know, what was it a once every hundred year flood that occurred twice? Yeah. You know, yeah. so um, so that sort of looms large, and, and people in the community are still a little skittish even today about you know anytime there's a little heavy rain. I don't want to say people freak out, but people freak out, you know. <laughs> well, what I've always said, Hassan, is, is pain is a great teacher. Whether it's physical pain, uh, emotional stress, or financial stress, those are things that are that are usually stick with you in your subconscious. And when you're presented with them or the possibility of them again, it's very clear. It's almost like that is a photographic type of memory for everybody. Those things are very clear. And you're right, when you get a little bit of uh, rain or potential downpour, those areas that were affected tend to be really kind of skittish. Now, one of the one of the goals, one of the objectives I had in my coaching career was to coach at the professional level. 2006, we had an indoor football league. Uh, it was an arena football league. I was contracted to uh, coach the defensive backs for that 
franchise. We already did done what we call combines, tryouts for, for these athletes. For these yep, athletes. Yep. And yep, the, yep. the flood came along in 2006 and literally wiped that out. All those sponsorship dollars for that professional team went back to the uh, hockey teams in town because, you know, we couldn't approach somebody that was flooded and say, well, you were, you know, you were going to give us dollars for this. So we, we couldn't do that because those funds had to go to support the existing professional hockey team. So a lot of people would look at me and say, well, that, you know, the flood took away your opportunity, but yet you're still going out and, you know, giving back to society and helping those people who are flooded. Well, yeah, I'm human. You know, uh, that was an objective of mine. It didn't happen. Mother, right, right. Mother Nature got involved, changed those, you know, took those plans away. <laughs> she, she's one lady that you don't mess with. No, you don't. <laughs> and, and no, so, you don't. <laughs> you know, you got to step up and give back to people. It could have just as well have been me on the, needing, the receiving end of needing those particular services. Right, right, right. Right, well, and you know what? It keeps you, it keeps you humble, too, you know, right? So, you know, yeah. you... you you know, you don't want to, it's not nice, as my mother would say, you know, it's not nice to play with Mother Nature, um, but at the same time, you know, she, it's, it's, it's odd, you know, Mother Nature doesn't really care about us, like, she doesn't care, she's, you know, she'll, she'll to, wipe out, you know, a community and <laughs> keep right on going, you know. <laughs> no differentiation. There is no differentiation, it does not, no, there is no differentiation. All right, well, um, you know, you, you're a guy who um, eventually, I would assume, is going to write a book, right? I mean, eventually, you're going to put all this stuff down in in a book form, and I'm not talking about like an ebook. I'm talking like a big time book. Are you are you focused on that as part of your business development? Yes, I've got actually two books that I want to uh, author. One has to do with um, performance improvement made easy, and actually, I have a LinkedIn group I created with that title called Performance Improvement Made Easy. Uh, and then I have a, an athletic book that um, I've got some of it written now, but I, with, with things got going on, I haven't gotten to it. But it, it's more or less athletics the right way. Um, and one of the areas that I talk about, I just witnessed it yesterday. Uh, one of my little neighbors, he's about nine years old. He plays in a little youth football league that I used to coach. And so I went up and watched him play, and I saw the classic – uh, frustrated athlete disguised as a coach. And I think you know what I mean. It's, mm-hmm. it's the, the guy, you know, or even the gal that yells and screams and says, I told you this, and it's yeah, my yeah. team, and you do this. You know, it, it's it's those kind of things that give the, the, the sport a bad name. But also, it could be a deterrent for some of those little student athletes to say, man, I don't ever want to do this again. When I heard that, you know, a particular coach made the, the youth athletes cry, you know, what's wrong with that picture? Right, you know, right. these guys, these little guys and girls want to be there because they love the sport, they enjoy it, and uh, it's something that they, 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 they're there they want to do it. You know, right. you got somebody with different uh, agenda doing that. So that's one of the things I want to talk about, you know, and the importance of, you know, conditioning and, and uh, equipment and hy- hydration and heat. But also, nowadays, Kids want instant gratification. Right. They, get, they, you know, they turn the TV on at 1 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, they watch the NFL, but they don't realize those guys have put in thousands and thousands and thousands of hours in practice. Same thing in business, or maybe you've got a pianist that plays the piano exceptionally well, they turn the TV on and watch it. He's been tapping those, that keyboard for hours on end, days on end, and that's why he or she is good and great at what they do. 
So I, I talk about the instant gratification and, and try to get that instilled in people. And it's, it's with business, like you and I are in business. You know, things just don't happen. There's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes, a lot of effort and time and research. I'm constant. My, one of my most frequent things I do is I'm constantly going to webinars, constantly, finding people I, I trust in terms of what their knowledge and, and what they deliver. I'm constantly going to webinars to stay current. Right. Well, you know, you t I was I was joking with a friend of mine the other day about sort of the um, the uh, the ten thousand or not the ten thousand, but the the ten year you know overnight success. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I uh, actually heard this from a from a friend of mine who are or a professional a professional colleague of mine up in Canada who I was talking with, and um, she and I were just sort of laughing about sort of the the nature of being you know discovered. You know, all of a sudden, you know, you were discovered if and particularly in this business of consulting and, and also in coaching as well. You know, you've been you've been grinding at this for a while. And then all of a sudden, you know, the fame and the fortune and the culture comes along and is like, oh, my, you're here. Wow, you're really great. Like, we didn't know you were here. And you're kind of sitting there going, yeah, I've been here the entire time. Yeah. Thank, thanks for noticing. But I mean, I've been here. I've been here for like 10 years before you all even showed up, <laughs> you know, yep. and, and we sort of accept it with musicians and with um, with athletes. You're right. We, we sort of accept it there. Um, and that's the accepted myth. Even actors or artists, it's the accepted myth. But people in our field um, or even authors, writers, you know, how, how many authors do you know who were just grinding in obscurity before they were ever discovered, you know? Exactly. You know, so yeah, the I want to. I actually want to write a book um, called "The Ten Year Overnight Success." I actually want to. <laughs> I want to call it that. You know, <laughs> I think that would pleasant. be. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> I think that would be very, very, very catchy. You know, sort of all the all the things that you got to do inside of that decade, or you know, the Malcolm Gladwell ten thousand hour rule. You know, <laughs> practicing one thing ten thousand hours um, before you ever before you ever get to be good. Um, you know, and sort of languishing in obscurity there for a while well you know what do you uh what do you do for fun what do you do to kind of shake the cobwebs off what do you do when you're not uh when you're not continuously performing you know and continuously improving <laughs> one one of the things i do is my my wife and i like to travel not necessarily lengthy travel we like to do day trips um when our daughter was at west point we used to go to west point a lot we'd go to tailgate parties uh, now my son's at, at Cortland. he plays baseball up there we go watch baseball games um actually my wife she really likes to shop, and I'm getting to where I like to shop too, but uh, I can only take so much of that. And then I actually find, I find myself on a, on a bench or, or a seat someplace. That's one of the first things I do when I walk into a store is try to find where's there a seat I can sit down. <laughs> right. I might be here a while. <laughs> but then I, what I do is I find myself on my cell phone, uh, you know, hitting a webinar or doing some kind of research. Uh, some people may think that's geeky, but it's the things that I like, you know, I don't do that all the time. Um, I like to, you know, I like to do yard work. That's therapeutic for me. That's where I actually do a lot of my uh, thought process. I've had my phone with me. I do uh, voice memos a lot of the time with the lawnmower running in the background. Um, mm -hmm. But it's it's things like that. And I've learned to appreciate just quiet time. Now that I'm older and, you know, we have this information overload age, I really appreciate quiet time, sitting on the deck, um, you know, maybe having a nice drink and, and uh, you know, just just enjoying the quietness. Because you don't get right, a, right. you don't get a lot of that anymore. There's, no, no, there's no, always no, something no. bouncing off of you. 
Well, yeah, I mean, you're, 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 we, we've got these tools in our pockets now um, that are, in essence, mini computers. You know, and, and mini is a, mini is a difficult word. They are computers, and uh, and you know, they kind of allow us to be sort of reached out to and be be gotten to. Um, at any point in time, you know, and it's, it's, it's sort of, it's sort of, uh, it's changed the way that we, that we operate with, uh, the way that we operate and the way that we interact with the world. Yeah. It's a, well, you're talking about an electronic leak. Yeah. And I, yeah. I actually saw the other day, Hassan, I saw a great, um, picture. It showed an individual with a, uh, on a desk, it had the smartphone sitting on the desk. And then next to him was this pile of equipment that, and it's, you know, we're not talking that long ago, maybe 15 to 20 years ago, Mac, that is now contained in that cell phone or that smartphone. You know, you obviously had the, the telephone was sitting there. You had your fax machine. Uh, you had a video camera. You had a regular camera. You had, um, uh, what else did you have? There's all of these things that were sitting there. You had books. You had this stack of books. Um, you had the television sitting there. You know, you had the, the, the old recorder, reel-to-reel recorders. You had record players. So it was amazing. You had this pile of physical old technology. And then over here on the other side, you had a, a smartphone that contained all of that. It was just unbelievable. Right, right. And I know right, I've right. talked to you in the past, and you're on the forefront thinking about where technology is going to go. And now they're talking about things you were talking about, like wearing technology. And, and not, I'm not talking just Google Glasses. I'm talking about the things you were talking about. And it's really kind of weird seeing those things come to Fruition. I remember when I was in college, one of my professors said, well, he said in maybe 20 years, you're going to have TVs hanging on the wall like picture frames. And we're all like, yeah, this guy's a nut. <laughs> now, now we've got flat screen TVs, you know, right, uh, and right. that's what he was talking about. That was 20, 30 yeah. years ago, you know. So it's, it's, well, and you know, you know the, the thing is technology, technology takes those leaps, those leapfrogs ahead, you know, we my uh, my daughter is she's four, you know, and she will she will live. She will. She is guaranteed because of the 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 time in which she was born. She was born in 2010. She's guaranteed at minimum 100 years, minimum, you know, um, because of you know just health and and, and you know um, mortality rates and just you know the continuous improvement. You talk about that area in genetics and all those other areas. Nope. The, the the technological things that she will see, I can't even possibly imagine and what we're seeing right now is just the beginning of the beginning of the beginning i i'm reading actually reading a book about um about johannes gutenberg and i'm fascinated by gutenberg because he was the original steve jobs uh -huh. you know he was steve jobs before steve jobs and he sort of how he sort of drove his um he drove his printers and he drove his craftsmen to create a better product the same way Steve Jobs drove, you know, the folks at Apple and the engineers. And it wasn't like Gutenberg could, you know, go in there and carve every single uh, piece of typeface or every single letter font or, or, or print every every page of the Bible. He didn't have to. He just had the idea, kind of like Steve Jobs. And so when Steve Jobs went down and told the engineers, you know, this sucks, <laughs> Gutenberg did the same thing. This sucks, do it again. Right. <laughs> you know, and now we're in the era where post-Steve Jobs, post-Gutenberg, well, post-Gutenberg, we had 400 years, 500 years of the printing press to sort of deal with the fallout from all of that. Now, I, the question I ask is 500 years from now, what will people say about the early days of the Internet? What will they say about us? Exactly. You know, um, because of how the, the, the great transitional leaps that are, that are being made. You know, I, 
I one of the other dovetails to that is I look at people sometimes and opinion makers who sometimes talk a little bit about the internet and sort of bewail or bemoan sort of narcissism and sort of the narcissistic tendencies that that um, young people sometimes get into with the internet and with the web and with applications and things like Snapchat and you know bullying on Facebook and while these are genuine problems and this is a space in which I work and I do believe that there are genuine ways to sort of make those problems go away and if not necessarily make them go away, uh, ameliorate them or minimize them in some kind of way. I do believe that our the ways in which our brains actually function inside of these machines is impacting how these machines um, change us. And so we're changing, they're changing, we're growing together. Um, and, you know, I don't worry about, you know, artificial intelligence taking over the world. I'm waiting for us to merge with the machines. And then when that happens, who knows what happens after that. But that's some crazy stuff. You know, I don't ever talk about that out loud. And nobody's listening to the podcast anyway. So <laughs> nobody's going to hear that. <laughs> you know, that, but that's the ultimate performance improvement, right? right. You know, that's, that's the ultimate one, you know, when you can sort of merge with your phone. Yeah. But if you take that mental picture that I explained here just a little while ago with this mm-hmm. smartphone on one side and all the, the heap of the technology that are replaced on the other side. Now you take that individual out of that picture, superimpose your daughter in that picture, fast forward yeah. 50 to 60 years. Now that smartphone gets flipped over to the side on the heap now, and you don't know what's going to be sitting over there on the desk. You know, if, if, if anything's going to be sitting on the desk. Exactly. You know? Exactly. That's, yeah, it's kind of a mind blow. I still, to this day, I mean, when I started out working on, um, I worked on the B-52 computer, uh, of computers. There's two computers on the BBC2, a bomb navigation and a flight navigational computer. And I used to test them and troubleshoot them and so on. We'd run this functional test program. I was 20 years old sitting there, and this this computer would, would perform more, this is in 1980, would perform more than a million uh, functions a second. Mm-hmm. I, try to, I, try, I still have a hard time wrapping my head around that, because I, I can see a million <laughs> pennies. Okay. Right. Equate them to a transaction, and this computer would do that in in a second or less. It is it's still hard for me to wrap my brain around technology when you get down into that. I think the kids nowadays don't even think of those you know those terms. I can remember right, the first right. computers that came out with uh, you know 50 kilobyte hard drive. Wow, what are you going to need all that for? Right. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and that's, yeah. That's and now I've got like long. a one you can't possibly put that many recipes on there, you know. Right, right. And it's so far past that now. It's it's not funny. You know, it's just hard to really wrap your brain around when you really think about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Tim, um, would you like to promote? Would do you have anything you'd like to promote today? You have anything you wanna you wanna really uh, you wanna really talk with our listeners about? Well, if you've got people that really or uh, genuinely are interested in making performance improvement. Uh, a recurring reality. Um, you know, I have them stop to, uh, you know, my LinkedIn uh, group, Performance Improvement Made Easy, or uh, visit my website uh, and, uh, you know, get in touch with me, give me an opportunity to really listen to you and what your environment operation is all about, and then just see where the jumping on point is for you and where I can help them. Awesome. Very good. So, 
Once again, Timothy Smith from TDS Performance Improvement. Thank you for coming into Earbud U. We appreciate it. Check out Earbud U on the web, www.earbudu.com. We are a division of human services consulting and training, so you can get a hold of us through our parent company at www.hsconsultingandtraining.com. You can connect with Earbud U on Twitter, Earbud U underscore. Also on Instagram, same address, same name, Earbud U underscore on Instagram. Please take time to let us know how you like the show. Let us know if you have any suggestions for any interviews or people you'd like to see come in. Once again, we'd like to thank Timothy Smith for coming into the studio, and we'll talk to you later. Have a great day.